I'll invite you to take your Bible and open to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I appreciated Stephen's prayer. He asked not only that we would apply God's word, but that we would enjoy God's word this morning. I think that's a good prayer. Over the last couple of weeks on Wednesday nights, as part of our study, we've, we've talked some, it's not been the main focus, but we have talked some the past couple of Wednesdays about the time period called the Reformation. It's this time in the 16th and 17th centuries when something significant happened in the history of the church. During this time, there was basically one established and recognized church. And just to say that, it seems like that would be ideal. And yet, there was a significant problem in that that one established and recognized church had drifted away from the true teaching of Scripture. In fact, it started, I think, with the failure to recognize the Scriptures as the only true and final authority. Once you lose the scriptures, you lose other things. Essential truths were, were lost. Big and primary truths were distorted. Probably the, the primary example would be the fact that the Bible's teaching on salvation was, was mistaught. There was a, a salvation being taught that was based on works that would then merit grace. The church continued to say that salvation was by grace, but the way grace was received was through works. Needless to say, it's a time in church history when we recognize that the gospel and the truth of the gospel was compromised, which is something that happens in every generation, isn't it? There's always those in every generation who think too little of or deny the scriptures, there are always those in every generation who distort the gospel, either by adding something to it or taking something away from it. But this period, this time just prior to what we call the Reformation, it was particularly dark. It's a time when, as we look at it historically, it seems as though the gospel was almost lost. But in God's plan, during this time, early to mid-1500s, some faithful and courageous men rose up, began to stand up, speak out, and point out the errors of the church. It's a time in church history when there was a clear and distinct recovery of the gospel. And it happened because there were men who were willing to, to risk their lives, to risk their reputations. That should probably go in the other order. <laughs> they risked their reputations and even risked their lives stand for truth. In fact, many of them were killed because they stood up and criticized the church. To say the least, the Reformation was a critical period in the history of the church. But again, like I said a minute ago, this is something that every generation faces. It We, we face this. In every generation, there are movements, there are teachers, there are ways of thinking that oppose the truth of Scripture and the gospel. And so it's the responsibility of Christians in every age, in every generation, to know the gospel well and to teach the gospel clearly. To use the language of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, every generation has a responsibility to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. That's the language we're going to see here in this passage. Guard the good deposit. 
It's a charge from Paul to Timothy, and it's a charge that applies for us today. I wonder how often you think about this. I'm sure you have thought about it, but the fact that you received the gospel, you heard the gospel, from a human standpoint, the reason you heard the gospel is because people before you were faithful, right? And you may think first of that person who told you, but someone told them, and we go back generations and generations and generations. We get to the Reformation. We go past the Reformation. The gospel has been faithfully passed down to us. It's come to us on the blood of, of many. If you are a Christian, it's because those who came before us were faithful. With that in mind, we go now back to the first century. When Paul tells Timothy, for the sake of Christ's church, guard the gospel. Be faithful. Last week we looked at this section, verses 8 to 14, but we, we focused in on verses 9 and 10. What we noticed last week is that Paul's giving this charge to Timothy. Don't be ashamed. Be willing to suffer. But before he gets very far into his exhortation, he, he takes a little bit of a, of a sidebar where he just rejoices over the gospel. And we spent our entire time here last week. But before we get back into the exhortation, I wanted to just remind you of, of what, what we saw last week. Remember this description of the gospel because this is what we're fighting to preserve. If you're in Christ, this is true of you. Paul says, God saved us. And he called us to a holy calling. Not because of your works, not because of anything you've done, but because God gave us grace in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And that grace has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I, I love that description. A salvation that is finished and complete. A salvation that's given to us not based on what we've done. We couldn't earn it. We didn't earn it. But it's given to us based on the grace of God. It's a plan that began before time. A plan that came to its fullness in Christ. A plan through which God made death ineffective and a plan through which he has made it possible for us to have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the message. And this is what Paul is calling Timothy to steward, to protect, to guard. Remember, Timothy, he's pastoring a church. And what we know, if we read the book of Acts, we read the letter to Ephesians, we know that there were false teachers who were coming into the church. There were those in Timothy's generation who, <coughs> excuse me, who were trying to distort and to discredit the message. So here's Paul calling on Timothy to be faithful. And of course, as we consider it, we will recognize our own responsibility. Church, God has entrusted to us a stewardship to guard and protect the truth of the gospel, to steward and to share the hope of salvation. And so this morning, I, I hope that we will have our hearts open to the beauty of the gospel and then be 
fulfill the, 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 the responsibility that we've been given to know it, to guard it, and to share it. So with that in mind, we're going to read the exact same text that we read last week. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 14. We're going to focus this morning on the second half from 11 to 14. Hear the word of God. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And it's this gospel, Paul says, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But... I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This week I was thinking a lot about the protection of the gospel, what it means for a generation to not lose the gospel. And as I thought about it, I recognized that even within myself, there's a propensity to think that this is this big movement. So the primary way that the gospel would be protected in our generations would be by having seminaries who rightly train ministers of the gospel. Or that a primary way that the gospel would be protected and guarded in our time would be for there to be good Christian publishing houses that are publishing good writers because writing lives forever and, and we need these things. Or, or maybe that a primary way that the gospel would be guarded or protected in our generation would be for, for these pastors with big um, and influential platforms to to be steadfast. It can be easy to think that the protection of the gospel is a, a big, organized movement that's somewhere outside of us. And, and let's be clear. I think good seminaries are important. And faithful publishing houses and blogs and websites and pastors that use their platforms well are being used by God for the protection of the gospel. And yet, as we come to this text, I think we should recognize that Paul is one person talking to one pastor. And this is a responsibility we all share. In our sphere, to be good stewards of the gospel that has been trusted to us. And I wonder if you think about that, that this is something that's been entrusted to you. Maybe you think, well, it's been entrusted to our church, and so Matthew's probably got this for us. No, no, it's entrusted to, to you individually, to me individually, to be stewards of the gospel. Even in a church our size, we must be vigilant. In your home, be faithful to steward the gospel. 
to stewardship that we've been given by God for the sake of the gospel. And I wanted to say that on the front end here because it could be easy to get into this passage and say, yes, we need more Pauls to guard the gospel. We need more Timothys to stand firm. We need men like those in the Reformation, like Tyndale or, or, or Luther or Calvin. And I'd say, yes, give us those men. And yet, this is our calling, isn't it? To know the gospel, to steward the gospel, to share the gospel. I read the quote a couple weeks ago about how we're just one generation from it being lost. And I have to, 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 consider, to think that during the Reformation, it, we see the big picture that on the whole, the gospel had been lost, let's say. And yet, what we know is there was always a remnant, right? Shouldn't we be believe that there were fathers teaching their kids the true gospel? And even if we're in a generation where on the whole the truth of the gospel is distorted or, or even seemingly lost, to say, as much as dependent on me, we will steward well what's been entrusted to us. Thankfully, as we come to our passage, we have a good example to learn from. As we come out of this gospel hymn in verses 9 and 10, Paul gives his own testimony. Remember, back in verses, verse 8, he, he said, Timothy, don't be ashamed, be willing to suffer. And then he goes into this gospel hymn. And then at the end, he says, this is the gospel. What I've just told, this is the gospel that I've been called to. And he, he, he talks about his offices. He says that he's a, a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. We see that in verse 11. He says he was appointed by God to be a preacher, apostle, and teacher. So Paul does have this specific calling. We're pretty familiar with the idea of teacher and preacher. Apostle is a word that we don't use as much, and for good reason. An apostle is, is, is a man who, who saw God, learned from his, him firsthand, and was given the responsibility of, of helping to formulate and lay the foundation for the church. Paul was one of these men with this specific calling. And beyond that, he was a preacher and a teacher, which is to say he was called to announce and teach and explain the gospel. And what we know based on reading the scriptures is that Paul was faithful. Much of the New Testament was written by him. He was faithful to his calling, even though it cost him everything, even his life. We've talked a lot over the past couple of weeks about the fact that Paul's writing this letter from prison. He was in prison for teaching the message of Christ. Not long after this letter, he would, in fact, be killed. So it's an understatement to say that Paul was committed to his calling. And he says that in verse 12. He says, I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. It's because he was faithful to the gospel. And so we, we remember how the whole section started. He's calling Timothy, don't be ashamed, Timothy. Be willing to suffer. By the way, I, I've already been down this road, and, and I have suffered. He's not calling Timothy to do something he hasn't already done. He's been faithful. He has suffered. And yet in that suffering, he says, and I'm not ashamed. 
I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. He was not afraid to stand for Christ, and he proved it over and over. For most people, when the rocks start hitting their heads, I'm out, right? The first time you're arrested, all right, I'm done. When your life's on the line, most would be inclined to pull back. What we see in Paul is an example of faithfulness. He took the beatings. He took the arrests. He even went to death unashamed. Man, that that would be our testimony. And yet we feel the nudges, don't we? When we're in our workplace and all of a sudden the gospel or the things of God aren't socially acceptable, not as much as they were maybe even 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And we feel the inclination, something in us that says, be quiet, right? Pull back. This may not go well. Oh, that we would love and cherish the gospel so much that we would give our lives, that we would be give, give our reputations and not be ashamed. Of course, you know in Paul's that, that, that significant verse in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. I won't be ashamed because it's through this that we have life. So I won't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. I think a lot of our propensity to shame is that we forget the significance, right? It's an amazing testimony, Paul's unashamedness. But why does he remain so confident? How does he say, stay so steadfast? Well, we get the last part of verse 12. He says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I love this verse. I thought we might sing the hymn. You know it. I'm not going to sing it for you. And yet, well, it's a good hymn. Maybe you'll see that. I, I think the hymn maybe gets the gets the, 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 the thrust of the verse. It's misplaced. That wasn't in my notes. Just, you can look it up later. We get two reasons in verse 12 why Paul is not ashamed. First, he says, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. This is the first reason why he's bold and courageous and unashamed, because he knows whom he believes. What we see here isn't an intellectual knowledge. No, Paul's saying, I, I know him. I, I, I know him. I'm in fellowship with him. I know who he is, and I know what he is like. Paul's foundation, what he's giving his life for, isn't a philosophy. It's not a system of belief. It's not a good idea or a set of doctrines or a religion. Paul says, I'm giving my life for God who I know. The God who loved him and whom he loves. The God who has made promises. The one who Paul believes. I am not ashamed for I know whom I believed. 
In the original language, it's a perfect tense verb, and we don't really have a good equivalent for that in the English language. A, a perfect tense verb is something that happened in the past, is happening now, and will keep on happening. So if we translated this verse according to that, it could read that Paul says, I know who I believed and in whom I continue to believe and who I will always believe. I know him. And this is why he's willing to give his life. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just a system. It's a God whom he knows. That makes a difference, doesn't it? If you're just trying to give your life to Christianity, you're probably not going to last long. We must start here with, a, with knowing God and being in fellowship with him. And thankfully, the gospel is the means by which we can have fellowship with God. I said this last week when we were talking about the gospel and the intricacies of before time and, and now. Even if we can spell that all, you could write a systematic theology on the doctrine of salvation. If you could do all that and yet you hadn't been changed and brought into sweet fellowship with God, then you will never have the courage to do what's being commanded here. Paul is compelled even to give his life because he knows God. He knows that God saves. He knows that God is faithful. That's the first thing. Second, he says in verse 12, and I am convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So not only is he confident in who God is, but he's confident in God's ability and in his power. But we have some questions to answer here. First, what does he believe God is able to do? What's been entrusted to Paul that God is protecting? And then what is this day that God's going to protect these things until? The second question is a lot easier than the first. When Paul says that God's going to protect what's been entrusted to me until that day, he's talking about the last day, the day of Christ's return, when Christ comes back and makes all things right. The day when all of God's promises are fulfilled. That's the day Paul's talking about. He says, I'm convinced that God will guard what's been entrusted to me until the day of Christ's return. Which now brings us back to that first question. What has been entrusted to Paul? What is it that God is keeping or guarding? And there's, there's actually two primary ways that people come at this or would answer that question. And, and there are some translation variants here that make it not completely straightforward. But let me tell you both, and then I'll tell you why the second one's the right answer. Okay? Perhaps. You may can convince me afterwards to change my mind. The first option would be that what God is guarding until that last day is Paul's life and his salvation. And, and I, I, I really do understand why this is a common interpretation. It's the way the hymn goes. Here's Paul. He's in prison. He's suffering for the sake of the gospel. He's most likely going to, to die. And despite all that, Paul says, I trust that no matter what happens, I'm convinced that God will guard me and he will keep my soul until the day of Christ's return. Which is a good theological statement, right? And you know what? I think Paul believes that. 
I think Paul walks through what he walks through, knowing, take my life for me to die, it's to be with Christ. And he, he knows that God will guard his life until the day of Christ. We know this in part because of Romans 8. Paul says, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No doubt, Paul was confident that God was guarding his soul and that he would be kept no matter what happened. In fact, we'll get to this at some point. In chapter 4, Paul says, starting in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. That day, again. And not only to me, but all those who love his appearing. Paul says, I'm about to die, but I know on that day I will be with God and I will receive my reward. So there is no doubt that Paul believed that God would keep him until the day of Christ. But I'm not convinced that that's what he's talking about here. In the context, Paul is talking about the calling that Timothy has to, to not be ashamed of the gospel, to be willing to suffer. In verse 14, he uses very similar language when he tells Timothy to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to him. So in verse 14, something's been entrusted to Timothy. I think back in verse 12, he's talking about the same thing that was entrusted to him. And in fact, there's two times in 1 Timothy and another time in Titus when Paul uses this exact same language of entrustment, and, and he's talking about the gospel. The gospel has been entrusted to me. And so I think in this verse, Paul is saying that what has been entrusted to him, that God is guarding until that last day, is the message of the gospel. I know, I am convinced that God will preserve the gospel. Let me try to put all that together for my own clarity's sake. What we have here is Paul's confidence that the message for which he has given his life is bigger than him. And that as he lays down his life for the sake of the gospel, his sacrifice is not wasted. Because of God, the gospel will go forward. It will never fail. And this is the truth, that God's doing his work, and it will keep going. And this is what emboldens Paul to give everything. It's what gives him courage, knowing that his work and his ministry is not wasted. So he says, I am convinced that God is able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me, whether I live or die. I started this morning talking about the Reformation period. And, and I'll tell you, I, I love reading the history of men. Just Google William Tyndale. Spend 30 minutes this afternoon just reading about what he did so that we could have the scriptures. It's an amazing story. But I wonder how you would answer this question. Who was the hero of the Reformation? Who was the one who did the most to ensure that the gospel was preserved? 
You might be thinking Luther or Tyndale or Calvin. And there were a lot of people who sacrificed much. But at the same time, you know who the hero of the Reformation was? It's God himself. We believe that while there have been times in history when the gospel is distorted or hidden, God has always been at work. He's always doing his work, opening eyes, changing hearts, preserving his word. And this should give us boldness. His word will not fail. The gospel will not fail. He's guarding it and using us to guard it. Which means we can give everything knowing that it will not be wasted. As I was thinking through this, I was reminded of what Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection passage. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not wasted. This is Paul's example as he lays down his life without shame. He knows God will not fail. It's a good reminder for us. We can be confident that even as God has entrusted the gospel to us, he will finish his work. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, encouraging him to be bold. And after saying this, saying, God will do the work, he, he turns to Timothy and continues to call him to be a faithful steward. Look at verse 13. At this point, we, we shift from Paul's example now to his specific charge to Timothy. He says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. There's this tension we see a lot, right? We talk about it a lot when it comes to salvation. God does it all. So keep working out your salvation in fear and trembling, right? God's at work. God will do it. So you do it. And we see that even here. Paul just expresses this confidence in God's um, preservation of the gospel. And yet he now turns to Timothy and says, now, now do it. Be, be faithful. And we see two commands, one in verse 13, one in verse 14. And they are a lot the same, some distinctions. But the big idea is that he's calling Timothy to, to, to be faithful with the gospel and to ensure that it is protected. Verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. Which is Paul's wife saying, teach what I taught. I've given you example, now follow my example. I have taught truth, now continue teaching the same things which is important to remember. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the things of God, our aim is not to teach something new. Our aim should be to keep teaching things that are true, things that don't change. I'm reminded of this often. Someone told me at some preaching class at some point, if you think you found something that no one else has ever found, don't say it, <laughs> right? You're probably not the guy who 2,000 years later discovers it. My job is not to teach you my ideas or my opinions. My job is to tell you the same thing that generations of faithful preachers have been saying for centuries. And this is our aim as the church, to understand the gospel, 
and to teach it rightly, to know God's word and to keep teaching God's word and not to change the message. In fact, Paul says in chapter six of 1 Timothy, teach and urge these things. And if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. And then he spends three more verses telling us how bad that guy is. The one who departs from sound doctrine. Strong statements. We must know the truth, teach the truth, guard the truth, steward the truth. The whole message of Jude, and I'm writing my sermon, and I, I type I type out most everything I want to say. And I said, not long ago we were in Jude, and I looked it up, and it was four years ago. Where does time go? Four years ago, some of you were here, many of you were not. We were in Jude, and Jude says in Jude three, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There's a lot here, but I love Jude. Jude says, there is a faith that's been delivered to us. And it's that faith that has always been and will always be contend for that. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. Timothy, follow my example. You've heard my teaching, my pattern of sound words. Now teach the same thing. It's a really straightforward command. And then he adds something. It's interesting, we don't just get two commands in verses 13 and 14. We get two commands with two um, reminders, a reminder for each command. Look at verse 13 again. He says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What we note here is that Paul's not only concerned with what Timothy teaches, but how he teaches it. Remember in Ephesians 5 when Paul says, speak the truth in love? I think that's what he's saying here. Timothy's about to go and he's going to face false teachers. He's going to hop on Twitter and there's going to be people saying heretical things. Right? And he could get his shoulders back and say, God told me, Timothy, Paul told me. I got them all in there, didn't I? Paul told me to guard the truth and dead gum, I'm going to do it. Paul says, hold up. Just keep teaching, keep being faithful and do it with love and faith. If we're doing what God has called us to, we are going to be going to one another and having hard conversations. Part of sharing the gospel is sharing the gospel with one another, which means going to one another and encouraging each other to put off sin and to pursue godliness. So you may need to approach me or I may need to approach you. And we may need to have some hard conversations. And it's important for us to remember that as we say true things, we're called to do it in a way that shows love for others and faith that Christ is doing the work. We must be loving in our approach and trust God with the results. It's not enough to be truth people. We have to be God's people first. And we should honor him in the way we share the truth. Man, I, I've, I've known and I've seen far too many people who are zealous for the truth. 
and lack love. And so I would just urge you, the way Paul is urging Timothy, not to walk out here so bent on guarding the truth that you become a jerk. Right? Let's stand for the truth. Let's guard it. Let's protect it. Let's do it with the love of Christ. He goes on. First, he tells Timothy, teach the same thing that I have taught. Do it in love and in faith. And then verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He's not only telling Timothy to get the gospel right. There's another component. The fact that there will be those who will oppose the gospel. Those who will teach things that aren't true. Sometimes on accident and sometimes on purpose. And so the other part of this is to guard the gospel, to protect it. It's this idea of a good deposit. It's something that's been given to someone that's precious. You keep it, you protect it until I get back. Think of Jesus giving his servants, or the master giving the servants talents. It's, it's a very similar idea here. There's a good deposit, something of value that's been entrusted to us. And Paul tells Timothy, guard it. Steward it. Protect it. Going back to where we started this morning, in every generation there will be threats to the gospel. There will be ways that it gets distorted or watered down. Sometimes things are added to the gospel and sometimes things are left out. It's always been true. It was true in Ephesus. It's true for us. And so the, the call is to stand guard. Timothy's time was difficult, and man, I could even argue that our time might be harder. Because this afternoon, you're going to be in your house. There's not going to be anybody else there. And yet you're going to open social media, or you're going to watch some YouTube videos. And you may even go in thinking, this will be a good, edifying way to use the Lord's Day. And yet what's coming through your phone or your TV could be a distortion of the gospel. So we have to be vigilant. We have to know the truth. We should work hard to stand for the truth, to continue teaching what's true. It's a call for us to be a word-centered church and a word-centered people so we can spot error when we see it. The stakes are high. There are generations coming behind us who will learn from us. It's a high calling and, quite frankly, can be intimidating. But I'm thankful for the reminder that Paul gives Timothy in verse 14. He says, by the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, guard the good deposit. Which is another argument I would make for the fact that this is exactly what Paul is saying in verse 12. I'm convinced that God will keep it. And then he says in verse 14, by the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within us, guard the deposit. I appreciate what John Stott wrote. I put some of it on your, on your notes. He says, do not be afraid. God will never allow the light of the gospel to finally be extinguished. True, he has committed it to us, frail and fallible creatures. He has placed his treasure in brittle earthenware vessels, and we must play our part in guarding and defending the truth. Nevertheless, And entrusting the deposit to our hands, he has not taken his own hands off of it. He himself is its final guardian. And he will preserve the truth which he has committed to the church. 
We know this because we know him and whom we have trusted and continue to trust. Stephen told me I should not call this sermon Guardians of the Gospel. And I think he was right because I don't even know what Guardians of the Galaxies is. Um, but um, maybe you'll remember that, right? We are called to be guardians of the gospel, knowing that God will do it. It's by his power that we share the gospel. It's by his power the gospel is received. He does it all, and yet he uses us. What is it that we're guarding? It's the fact that we learn in Genesis 3 that as a people, we have been separated from God because of our sin. And this is the reality for every person. And yet God, in his mercy, sent his son to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, and to be raised again so that through him, death could be abolished. And we could be granted forgiveness and reconciliation and eternal life. That's the core of it, and then there's all kinds of tentacles that come off of it. It's a message that should change our lives, and it's a message of which we've been called to be unashamed, willing to suffer. We're to proclaim it, teach it, guard it. It's all encourage you with the word of Paul, word of God through Paul. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Follow the pattern of sound teaching. Guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. And do it all confident in the one in whom you have believed. And be convinced that he is able to guard that which has been entrusted to you. For the, fa- for the sake of future generations, for the sake of your children and grandchildren, for the sake of the church, for the sake of a world that needs to hear, for the sake of the glory of God, let's strive to be faithful. Let's pray together.